You put Christ on the throne? Yeah, and I'm like, ready. Good. Okay, Christ on the throne, ready. That's a good thing. You guys there too? All right. That's awesome. Ashley, I love how you lead by example. So this is our last class of the semester. It is not going to be the last class online. I am going to put notes up on the 360-degree leader, which we were going to do this week, but I thought about it a lot over break, and I thought there's no way that I could skip leading with character and integrity to do the 360-degree leader. So we are going to do that. It'll be in the leadership packet next semester, and that will have in there the 360 that you can do, which is a neat way to see different weaknesses in your life and how to grow, and I think we can all do it together. It'll be fun. But today I thought it'd be crazy for us to skip over this leading with character and integrity issue because I really wanted to end the semester on this solid note, this foundational note, I think. So this will be something that will be in the packet next semester as well. So it'll be really good. So as we get started, let's just go ahead and pray. God, I just thank you so much for this morning, or I guess this afternoon. And we each here desire that you would be on the throne and that you would do your will and that you'd teach us how to be the leaders that you've called us to be. God, we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So leading with character and integrity, this will be a big topic. Now, as far as wanting to be a leader, I wanted to start with an encouraging verse and then talk about it a little bit. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or a leader, he desires a noble task. It's easy to think, of course, it's noble to want to be a leader. In that context, though, and you might have heard me say this before, being a leader was pretty much guaranteed persecution, right? (coughs) Christians across the board were persecuted and leaders that much more. In fact, every one of Christ's disciples, (laughs) except for Judas, was martyred, and except for John, I should say, who was exiled to Patmos and also faced some terrible circumstances, as were many others. Just think of people like Paul and Stephen and many others outside of those 12. The leaders of the early church were pretty much all martyred. And when you think about being a leader, it wasn't just who likes to have the position of being called a leader and who likes to have that kind of respect. There was something so much more. It literally meant Are you willing to lay down your life so that other people below you can grow in their faith? (laughs) Which I think is what is at the core of leadership, and we'll talk about that some today. And that's why Paul could write to Timothy in 3.1, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. He writes this to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and remember, I think it's in Acts 19, if I'm not mistaken, Paul was nearly killed in Ephesus, (laughs) so the persecution in that city was substantial. And then in the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about Ephesus and says that there was significant opposition there, yet there was an open door at the same time. So it's in that context of opposition that Paul tells him, if, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires something that's very noble. So I want to encourage you today that leadership, and I think you know this by now, it's not just about position or you know, image or authority or whatever. It's really about laying down your rights, laying down who you are, your desires to help others grow in their faith and in their walk with God. So it has a lot to do with sacrifice. And it includes a need to grow in character and integrity, to build that foundation right so that we can can really lead the way that God wants. So evaluate your motives. As you think about being a leader, I think it's important to evaluate your motives and why it is that you want to be a leader. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, 
not for men. This is something that I think is necessary. As leaders, we need to work for the Lord, not for men. And specifically, you're leading within this ministry, so the idea would be work as unto the Lord, not as unto Nate, or not as unto master plan, but as unto the Lord. Now, there's a context there. Remember, in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, we hear about the body, and we're all called to be committed to the body, so we do want to lead within that context. I've had people say, I'm going to develop my personal ministry, and I say, that's great. They say that, so I'm outside of the rest of the ministry. And I say, no, 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 no. We're a body together. You're working as under the Lord, and you're doing it within the context of a larger body. And then also, Hebrews 13 says that we should serve under spiritual authority, all of us. That doesn't refer just to leaders. That talks about, to, about followers serving under spiritual authority and not making your leaders' lives a burden, and, but real, realizing that they're going to have to give an account to God. And uh, that's something that we'll get into today, but that's a a heavy burden to realize that you're going to give an account to God for those that you follow. So as you lead, I want to encourage you to work as unto the Lord, not as unto men, right? You're not doing your Bible study for the people that show up. You're not doing your discipleship appointments for those guys. I mean, those guys are girls that you're discipling. You love them. You want to pour your whole life into them, but you're doing this for the Lord because he commanded you to do this, right? Remember once I had a student that that told me, I forget how he worded it, but he was kind of mad at me because I wasn't budging in our discipleship relationship. And there were some issues, but I did tell him, and I was maybe a little too blunt. I should have been more careful how I said this. I said, I'm not in this for you. (laughs) I love you, and I want to invest everything in your life, but I'm in this because Christ called me, you know, and he's the one that I'm going to have to give an account to. And that takes precedence over... Um, how you view this relationship. Does that make sense? Maybe that came across a little bit wrong, but I want to encourage you to have the attitude that you're going to love and you're going to invest in that person, for that person, for their best interest, but at the same time, your ultimate goal is to work with all your heart as unto the Lord, right? And Psalm 7611 comes to my mind when I think about ministry. And I even said this today before I left the house, and I'll say this a lot of times before I speak at a retreat or whatever, before I share my faith. It says, make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. Isn't that an interesting concept? Bring presents to him who ought to be feared. And a lot of times I think when you're leading, you're bringing presents to God. (laughs) You're serving him. And a lot of times before I speak, I'll say, God, I want this to be a gift to you. That's what I want. I don't care if anybody even shows up. I want this to be between me and you. I want to give a gift to you, and I want to be faithful to you. So I want to encourage you to evaluate your motives before even taking the first step of leadership. Some of you have already taken the first step of leadership, so I want to encourage you to keep evaluating your motives because your motives can change. And I catch this all the time. I think the older you get, the more depraved your, your flesh is. Does that make sense? It just makes sense. It's been alive that much longer. And I think it's that much easier to envy. It's that much, e- it's that much easier to have wrong motives, to be proud, to want to be seen as something bigger than you are. I mean, those things can creep in so easily if we're not being intentional about evaluating our motives. So I want to encourage you to um, first evaluate your motives. Next, I want to encourage you to count the cost. Like we started with, a leader lays down everything. So when you choose to lead, you're choosing to give up your rights. Just like a husband in marriage chooses to lay down his life for his wife like Christ did for the church. In leadership, you're doing that with the people that you serve that you're serving. You're laying down everything for them. Okay? So think about your expectations. Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you even want to do it in the first place? Evaluate the cost. 
Luke 9.62 says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And it's easy to put your hand to the plow, to, to become committed to ministry, and then to look back and think, what about that? What about that? I'll be tempted. Man, I'd be making easily three times what I'm making right now if I was in my old field of work. You know what I mean? Well, that's looking back. And I want to say, I'm not looking back. I want to be committed to the work that God's given me to do. I want to be committed and not look back. And I want to encourage you, when you commit to leadership, having evaluated the cost, you are committing to serving God and not looking back. Does that make sense? It's a weighty thing to consider. You're saying, I am all in. I'm all in and I'm serving him. And that's the end of it. Luke 18, 29 through 30, though, Jesus promises you something really great when you do that. He says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. See, God will bless you beyond belief for anything that you choose to put to the side for him, right? He will bless you beyond belief. So evaluate your motives, count the cost, and then pass the test. This is interesting. Scripture tells us that a leader must not be a recent convert. This is in 1 Timothy 3, 6, where he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And I have seen this happen so many times, guys. The biggest church split that we've ever had in this ministry, even though it wasn't a church, <laughs> you know, it's a ministry. The biggest quote-unquote church split that we ever had involved a lot of people that shouldn't have been in leadership yet, that were put into places of leadership too early. And within one month, there was ridiculous pride, and that bred gossip and slander and some of the worst damage that we've ever seen on this campus. Lots of lies. It took four years before we quit hearing the gossip and slander. Can you believe that? And all that came out of putting people into a place of leadership before they're quite ready. And this isn't a bad thing. This isn't an issue of value. It's not like somebody's not worthy to be put into a place of leadership. The issue in Scripture is that they must first be tested. This is what it says just a few verses later in 1 Timothy 3 in verse 10. So four verses later, referring to deacons, which was a type of leadership in the church, and it says they must first be tested. And if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons, right? So the idea in Scripture is that we want to be tested before entering leadership. Does that make sense? And instead of the other way around, throw somebody into leadership and then see what happens. See if they sink or swim. <laughs> That's not the godly way to do it. And it's for their best interest as well. You don't want somebody to get crushed because they're not ready to be put into that position, right? And neither do we ourselves want to be crushed because we jump into something prematurely. But we want to meet the leadership test. So what I did here, and this is going to take a little bit of time and introspection, is I went through all the main passages in the New Testament that I could think of that involved leadership of some form, that discussed leadership, right? Some of those key passages are 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, Matthew 20. There are some big passages that really highlight, and I have them all listed here, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Corinthians 4. There are a few others. But all these together represent what I would consider a leadership test. Almost all of these say that they should be there before somebody leads, okay? The majority of them say they must this, they must that. And some of those are charges to leaders, like Paul charging Timothy, do this as a leader. Does that make sense? So all of them are expected to be there in a leader that is passing the test. Now, this is heavy. 
you're going to go, who could possibly lead after looking at this test? So don't get discouraged. There's hope at the end. But let's work through it right now. Okay? And you can check the list if you feel comfortable doing that. Or if you don't, you don't have to. You can look at it tomorrow during your quiet time. But basically, number one, and these aren't in any kind of order, I have correct motives. So this person has evaluated their motives. I want to work as unto the Lord, not as unto men. So I have correct motives. Number two, I am sincere. I'm not doing this with hidden motives or ulterior motives. Paul actually says we've renounced secret and shameful ways, and we're out in the light. There's nothing ulterior about us or secret. We're totally sincere. Next, I humbly work for the Lord and his approval only. Okay. So I'm doing this for God alone. That's it. Doing it humbly for his approval only. I'm not seeking the praise that comes from men, but the praise that comes from God. Next, I lead by example, watching my conduct closely. A leader, and we're going to talk more about this, but a leader leads by example. If a leader does not lead by example, they're not a leader. This is a biblical principle. So a leader has to lead by example, and they have to watch their conduct closely to be careful about their example. Next, I am faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, again, talking about how some things required beforehand, it says that it is required of a leader that they be found faithful. So what we encourage people all the time is if you want to lead, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. And we'll talk more about that again, too. It's important, though. But that is a requirement for a leader, that they be found faithful. And by faithful, I don't just mean not doubting, right? I mean when they're entrusted with something, they do it. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. When they commit to something, they come through, even if it hurts, even if it takes more than they feel they can give. Okay, next, I am encouraging. Encouraging to those that I lead. Next, I am comforting to those I lead. That's the one I struggle with. (laughs) I don't feel like I have sympathy very well. Next, I challenge those I lead to live lives worthy of God. It's pretty big. Also, I challenge at times... Nobody wants to look like the bad guy. Next, I serve and put others first. Again, leadership is all about laying down our life for those that we lead. So Jesus even said in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, that in his kingdom, anyone that wants to lead will have to lead by serving. And then he said that's what he did with us. He didn't come to serve, but to be served. I mean, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Got that backwards, huh? Glad you caught it. Nikki was like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Nikki knew what's up. So we serve and put others first, following Christ's example. All right? Next, I live above reproach. My lifestyle isn't one that other people could find problems with or say there's something wrong with you. Does that make sense? And there are are Christians that try to lead. I'll share a funny example without getting into details. Stephanie has heard me talk about this before, but there's a, a leader that's kind of famous that his clip is on YouTube somewhere, but he said, and then the Holy Spirit told me to run across the stage and kick her in the face with my biker boot. <laughs> so I did it. Okay, that's not living above reproach. <laughs> there are a lot of other leadership criteria that that doesn't live up to. I walk in integrity, purity, holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness. Okay, <laughs> tall order, right? There's a, that's a lot there. Integrity, purity, holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness. Next, I am temperate and balanced. We talked about balance in this class. A leader is temperate and balanced. 
Next, a leader is self-controlled. I am self-controlled. Next, I am respectable and respected. So I act and live respectably, and as a result, other people respect me. (laughs) Does that make sense? If you have a real bad reputation among those who aren't Christians, you should not be a leader. And we've seen that too before. I am hospitable. Next, I'm able to teach and train. Leaders need to be able to teach and to train. Right? Okay. Next, I'm able to rebuke and correct. We talked about that also in this class. Those things can be difficult, but they're necessary. I'm able to rebuke and correct. I'm a- I am gentle. No biker boots in the face. I'm gentle. I manage my private life well. The references to that are to a leader managing his household well, right? And Scripture flat out says if the leader can't manage his house, he should not be managing the house of God. And that's the reality for us. You might not be married, so you might not have kids and a family and all that sort of stuff. But how do you manage your private life, your possessions, your time, your own private ministry and all that sort of stuff? If that's all out of whack, right? If your finances are out of whack and your schedule's out of whack, and if you can't if you can't manage your own self, then you're not ready to manage other people or to lead other people, if that makes sense. Next, I am doctrinally sound and correctly handle God's truth. Right, God's word. So I have a strong grounding in truth and in doctrine. Next, I have a clear conscience. Next, I guard my tongue. 1 Timothy 4 actually says that we're an example in speech, right? So, it's an example of guarding your tongue and speaking. Remember James 3 says that if if we don't sin in what we say, we're perfect, right? So, it's definitely a a real difficult one. Uh, I think I have I am gentle again there, but... Just to make sure, I think the Holy Spirit's trying to teach me to be gentle, maybe. All right, I love unconditionally, right, I love unconditionally. Next, I invest everything I have and my very life in those I lead. So I'm putting everything on the line. I'm not withholding, right, I'm giving everything I have to give. Obviously within balance and good boundaries, right, but I'm intentional about being generous with my own life, my own interests. I walk by faith. Again, that 1 Timothy 4 verse says that Timothy is a leader. Paul encouraged him to be an example of faith. So beyond just walking, he was doing it in an exemplary way. I preach the good news and share my faith. A leader has to share his faith or her faith. A leader disciples younger believers. Next, I am diligent and wholly devoted to my call. We're going to talk about diligence in a minute, but it's a huge Huge issue in leadership, right? All right. I persevere. I endure hardship. I obey the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy that a soldier obeys his commanding officer, relating this to our walks with God. And imagine telling a commanding officer, no. (laughs) Right? Your commanding officer says, Dakota, go do this. And you just say, nope, (laughs) you'd never do it. But somehow we get this impression that we can do that with God, right? And as a leader, there's no no to God. 
We don't ever tell God. No, we follow him wholeheartedly, right? I obey him completely. All right, I don't get drunk, right? Now, I think in college and in all life, there's this issue. Is it okay to have alcohol or is it okay to have a beer or a glass of wine or whatever? Obviously, scripturally, that is okay, right? And you can develop your own convictions between you and God about that issue. Obviously, if you can't do that in faith, you should not, right? Scripture is real clear on that. I do think, though, the scriptural mandate is very high not to let that be a stumbling block and not to let your freedom cause your brother to stumble, right? And not to let your freedom get the best of you. So I would encourage you to be on the safe side on that issue, right? We've had leaders that, that um, think that going to the bars and sharing their Christ with friends as they get drunk is okay. And that's not. We've actually had, it wasn't even in our ministry. We had a, a student from our ministry call us once and say, crying. I was just at a Bible study in town, and the Bible study leader, as soon as we were done, busted out a keg, and everybody just started getting drunk. <laughs> we were like, oh, no. Come on up to campus. You know what I mean? But anyway, so be careful with that. If you do, um, if you, yeah, just be careful with that. And if you're underage, for sure, that's not an issue at all. You shouldn't even think of it. A leader is not violent, right? Again, they're gentle. A leader is not greedy and doesn't love money. That's big, right? As a leader, you're called to give everything for God, right? Remember the Levites in the Old Testament? They weren't given an inheritance with the rest of Israel. When God divided up Israel and said, you get an inheritance, you get an inheritance, you get an inheritance to all the people, he came to the Levites, those that were the ministers out of all the tribes, and he said they don't get an inheritance because their inheritance is, do you guys remember? It was God himself. And as a leader, I'm not saying that God won't provide for your needs or meet your needs or give you you know, a house or a car or whatever. But what I'm saying is your inheritance is the Lord. As you lead, you get to experience intimacy with God that other people will not because you're co-laboring with him in a way they won't. And that always develops intimacy. And it's not like you're better than them. It's not like you can point the finger at them. But you might at times think about what you've given up. And this happens to me sometimes, like I mentioned a minute ago. Sometimes the thought will just hit me, you know. Gosh, I could be making way more money if I wasn't in ministry. And then i got to realize, yeah, not, it, it's a joy to give that up. <laughs> it is an absolute joy. Because my inheritance is the Lord, right? And I don't want to let the love of money or greed stop me from being an effective leader. Okay, I am not sexually immoral. This would involve... Things like porn, lust, and sexual immorality of any type. I'm not ashamed, right? In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy to do his best to present himself a workman approved that doesn't need to be ashamed. So I'm being diligent to grow as a leader so that I don't need to be ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed about not living up to what you know God is calling you to? Right? What, what Paul is saying here is a leader should not have to have that kind of Shame that they deal with. Okay, I'm not manipulative. Again, Scripture talks about serving rather than manipulation. I'm not a burden to those I lead. And finally, I work knowing I'll give an account to God for how I lead. That should scare all of us, right? In James 3, it says that those who teach will face a harsher judgment, right? And the reality is, as a leader, I'm putting myself in a place where I'm going to give an account to God for how I led. Not just how I lived, but how I led as well, right? There's that much more to give an account for. Obviously, we're saved by grace through faith, 
And so this isn't an issue of heaven or hell or whatever, right? God's not going to judge you and say, you're going to hell because you're a bad leader. But the reality is, I'll give an account for how I led. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? I want to be able to lead the way God has called me to lead without regret. Okay, that's a good self-test for you to work through on your own. But the reality is, 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Right? So here is the leadership test, and I want to challenge you that as a leader, your goal should be, I want to be faithful with this stuff, and I want to walk in it. And if you're looking at that list like me and saying there's no way I could be perfect at that whole list, <laughs> you're, you're surrounded by a lot of people in the same boat, right? Because we're not all there. And the reality is really cool. John 21, 15 through 18, Jesus comes to the disciples, and specifically to Peter, after Peter denies him three times. Remember this story? And Peter doesn't go up to him and judge him. Peter already knew before he denied him that he would be a leader in Christ's church, right? He already knew that. And he already made lofty promises about about his ability to follow Christ and face persecution and all this. And the reality was he ended up instantly denying Christ. And Christ comes to him. So he failed this test, right? He failed this test. And Christ comes to him and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you remember this? And Peter responds, interestingly, it's an interesting wording there. Peter, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? And Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. I, I'm attracted to you. I like you. But I can't say I unconditionally love you. He was just being honest. He just denied him three times. You know, how could he say, oh, sure, I unconditionally love you. He knew himself too well to overpromise. But Jesus doesn't say, you jerk, you need to unconditionally love me. He says, Peter, feed my sheep, right? So he says, serve as a leader, loving me the best you can and growing in that love, right? And then he says, again, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter says, again, you know I phileo you. And Jesus says, again, then feed my sheep. The third time, I love this, Peter, I guess Jesus comes to Peter's level. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me, right? So he meets him where he's at. And Peter says, yes, you know that I do. And he says, okay, feed my sheep. And that's the challenge, I think, is even when we don't match up to this test perfectly, because we won't always match up to this perfectly. Out of your love for God, continue to serve him, striving to be faithful with all these issues that he's called you to be faithful with. Does that make sense? Striving to be faithful. And that striving to be faithful is so key to leadership. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So the idea that Aaron and I like to say is, be faithful with little for the sake of the little. We always think that being faithful is a stepping stone to the greater. Does that make sense? Has that thought ever gone through your mind? I have to be faithful here so that God will open up a bigger door there. And I want to encourage you, God's not going to open up the bigger door until you're faithful here, right? Or in the small areas that he's given you to be faithful. But at the same time, be faithful for the sake of the little. Does that make sense? I'm not just doing what I need to do here to, to you know, jump to the next level. I'm doing what I'm called to do here with pure motives, working as unto the Lord, not as unto man, with all that I have to give, right? I'm going to be faithful with little for the sake of the little. And I want to encourage you guys, you don't have to open your own doors. Does that make sense? You don't have to push your way into God's will for you. You don't have to say, man, I have to move to this city, or I have to get that degree, or I have to do this thing, so that I can accomplish what God has called me to. Think about the story of David. This is really cool. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, God chooses David to be king over Israel, right? He's anointed by Samuel, the prophet, to become king over Israel. 
Just eight verses later, God puts him in Jerusalem, in the king's palace, and he eventually becomes king, having been put into that place. Does that make sense? He's given this opportunity to go ahead and kill Goliath later on and all this stuff. But he's given this opportunity to, to get into position to become who God made him to be, not because of trying to work his way in, but simply because he was what? Faithful with something really little. Do you guys remember what it was? The little thing he was faithful with? Playing a harp. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? His instrument is what God used to get him into this position where he'd eventually become king over Israel. And what I want to encourage you with is you don't have to open your own doors. Be faithful today where you're at, and God will link things together in ways that you can't imagine for his will to unfold in your life, right? And if your eyes are on him, you're not going to screw up his will for your life. Be faithful with little today. Be faithful with what he's given you today, and he will open up the rest of it. All right. The personal life, ministry life, seesaw. Russ puts it this way. Everything in your personal life must revolve around Jesus, and everything in your ministry life must revolve around the Great Commission. Does that make sense? Jesus is my Savior, and everything in my life should revolve around him. He has called me to the Great, to the great Commission, right? So everything I do should revolve around his call, being obedient to him and what he said. So I want to talk about a personal life that revolves around Jesus, a personal life that revolves around Jesus, guys, is a life of character, right? It's a life of godly character and a life of integrity. Philippians 1.27 says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to just shoot through a few of these verses. These should be extremely challenging and encouraging, and they should get our attention. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What would that look like? That would be character on a level that's never been seen. Ephesians 4.1, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Unreal. The calling that we've received, live a life worthy of that. Colossians 1.10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Right? 1 Thessalonians 2.12, live lives worthy of God. Okay? So, we're called to live lives worthy of the gospel, worthy of our calling, worthy of the Lord, and worthy of God. That is seemingly a tall order, obviously possible through the Holy Spirit in us. Remember his role. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says he's transforming us daily into his character. But as a leader, guys, as I seek to lead out of a place of character, I'm leading in a Christ-like way that is worthy of the gospel, worthy of our calling, worthy of the Lord, and worthy of God. There's a lot to this. There's a character that needs to be formed. Remember, we've talked this semester about the Cloud and Townsend equation, grace plus truth over time. This isn't going to happen overnight. But it takes daily commitment to this process of character development. Remember the vertical and horizontal relationships in the discipleship packet? I got the arrows mixed up on that. Did you see that? Okay. We have God. Oh, man. We have... Nikki, Nikki, did you know you're in the discipleship packet? I did not know that. That's pretty good. Yeah. You have Christians over here, and you have non-Christians over here. Okay, so Nikki, you 
hear from God predominantly through his word. Okay, and then you speak to God in prayer. I say predominantly through because obviously God can lead you and, and uh, use your brothers and sisters to speak to you. And obviously you can go to a meeting and hear a good sermon that might speak to you or whatever. God could get your attention in a lot of ways, but the predominant way that we can for sure hear God's direct voice is right from his word. Okay, and then we speak to him in prayer, right? So that's our vertical relationship. Now our horizontal relationships would be Nikki. How do you relate with other Christians? Fellowship. Yeah, fellowship, right? Spurring each other on to love and good deeds, this encouragement, this accountability, all these things that's encouraging growth, right? And then what about with non-Christians? Yeah. Evangelism, right? And on that note, I'm so proud of you guys. Last week before break, I, I bet we had somewhere near 50 evangelistic conversations because everybody I knew was sharing and taking everybody they knew sharing, and it was unreal. And all the feedback I heard was super positive from people that got shared with. It was awesome. So I'm really proud of you guys. But I think this, these relationships and this growth diagram are vitally important for our character development, right? If I'm not in constant fellowship, my character development is going to be stunted. If I'm not sharing my faith, my character development is going to be stunted. If I'm not in the word and prayer in my daily fellowship with God, my character development is going to be stunted. So as we think about growing our character in Christ, it goes back to the Holy Spirit, goes back to these vertical and horizontal relationships, and it happens over time. Okay, now more on the character development process. I think this is key, so I really hope you will get this. wrote this in my journal eight years ago, (laughs) and I always wanted to talk about it, and I never have. But anyway, I'm not going to get into it too much, just briefly. But it goes something like this. That's not going to work. Okay, it goes like this. Uh, Thoughts. Go to what? You think first, and then you... I'm going to put something before actions. I'm going to put choices, right? Actions, habits, character. Okay, isn't that good to kind of look at that progression right there? And to realize that the thoughts that you think today, in the long run, are going to lead to your character. Right? Now, if you want to develop a godly character, which is the foundation for godly leadership, it starts with what? My thinking, right? My thought life. Remember 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 says to set your mind on things above. Hebrews 3, to set your mind on Jesus. Philippians 4, to set it on things that are pure and lovely and all these great characteristics. So the reality is that as I choose as a leader to control my thinking and to put it where it needs to be, right? that then leads to what kind of choices? If you're filling your thoughts, you guys have heard garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you're putting a lot of garbage into your mind, what kind of choices are going to come out? Garbage choices, <laughs> right? Garbage, junk choices. Whereas if you're guarding your thinking, what kind of choices are going to come in or come out? Good choices, godly choices, which is going to lead to what? Godly actions, which is going to lead to what? Which is going to lead to what? 
So if you want to lead with a godly character, where does it kind of really start, guys? Godly thoughts today. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind, getting in God's word and letting him change my thinking. Remember in Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9, he says, my ways and thoughts are different than yours, right? His thoughts are different. His actions are different. And definitely his character is different as well, right? The reality is if I can start to think like him, I'm going to start to act like him, right? And when I start to act like him, I'm going to start to be like him. And that's where, and we'll get to this again in a minute too, that's where Paul can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, he's walking with a Christ-like character that started way back here in the thought life, right? So as a leader, I want to encourage you that every thought, every choice, every action matters, even little thoughts today, right? Little things that we might not think are extremely significant today are very important, right? Spiritual discipline is key. It's hard to be constantly vigilant about our thinking, about our choices, about our actions. It gets difficult. So we need to be diligent. Okay, diligence is constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Persistent exertion of body or mind. Does it sound fun? <laughs> Not really, right? Sounds like a lot of work. Proverbs 12:24 says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. And Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So the reality, guys, is if we're diligent as far as this process goes, of taking every thought captive, of making godly choices, of, turn, of then following that up with godly actions, habits, character, if we'll be diligent in that process, like Paul told Timothy, devote yourself fully to this stuff so that your progress, remember your growth and character, your progress may be evident to all. Right? We're building the character foundation that then will be a foundation for solid leadership for the long haul. Right? This requires a lot of personal responsibility. Right? Not letting myself slide. Not letting myself get out of spiritual discipline, which is necessary to build that foundation. Character growth takes long-term commitment. This doesn't happen overnight. If I want to be a godly leader for the next 50 or 60 years... It's going to take a lot of growth today to get to that level, right, and to get to that place. And you're never going to stop. At 60 years old, at 80 years old, I hope and pray all of us are still continuing to grow and still continuing to invest in our character, right? Okay, how long do you want to serve God? Two weeks? Six months? Don't you want to be serving God till you're dead? <laughs> and till, So you can say, like, Paul, I've run the race. I've, I finished it, right? I fought the fight. Right? I want to get to that point where I know I've done that diligently. Again, longevity requires this long-term commitment, this personal responsibility, and a whole lot of diligence. Okay? Russ always says we need to survive first, then be effective, and then do ministry. And it's really key. We need to get to a point where personally we're able to survive in all those areas of balance right, that we've talked about in this class so that we can thrive in ministry. You need to be who you need to be so that you can do what you need to do. So character growth takes time, and I want to encourage you, take every opportunity to grow. Now, this is important. You can't give what you don't have, right? Does that make sense? You can't give what you don't have. You can't help somebody have victory where you haven't achieved victory. So never stop beating sin, right? Always keep growing in that area. You can't help somebody grow where you haven't yet grown, right? So never stop growing. You can't teach someone what you've never learned, so never stop learning, right? The process is um, pretty expected. You can lead them in areas, you cannot lead them in areas that you are not willing to go, right? So never stop taking new risks in leadership, 
right? Always be willing to take new risks. Jesus said, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That was in Luke 6.40. So I want to encourage you, right, as a leader, to never stop growing. If you want to be an effective leader, you always have to keep developing that character and growing that character to be the foundation for your leadership wherever you're at. So the ultimate goal here is Christ-likeness, right? We want to be like Christ so that we can lead like Christ. And then as we follow Christ, others can follow our example as well. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, wouldn't you love to be able to say that? Follow my example, guys. Do everything you see me doing, right? Because I'm doing everything I see Christ doing. And then Jesus was doing everything he saw his father doing, right? Do you see the progression? And so Paul didn't just end it there. That's not the only place he said that. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. Check out some other passages where Paul says that. 1 Corinthians 4.16, therefore I urge you to imitate me, right? Okay, can you imagine, Cameron, you sit down with a guy you're discipling, and you're like, please, I'm begging you, just be like me, okay? Just, I'm begging you to be like me, (laughs) right? Okay, in Galatians 4.12, he says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, (laughs) again. In Philippians 3.17, he says, join with others in following my example, and first this and four nine he says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And first Thessalonians one six, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Again referring to that same issue of him following God and others following his example. Second Thessalonians three seven, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. <laughs> okay? And then one more for good measure, second Timothy three, ten through eleven and verse fourteen. Kinda have to tie those together to get this. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, right? So Paul is telling Timothy, you know my example, so continue in what you've learned because you know who you learned it from, right? Uh, And he knows that he can be trusted. I want to encourage you guys that when we get to this place of character development and Christ-like character, we can lead from that place of example, which is the only authentic place for us to lead from, being able to say, follow my example. Remember the kings of Israel? Guys, go look and read about the kings of Israel. But over and over and over, God held them responsible for the sins of the people. Isn't that bizarre? Because they themselves walked in sin and gave that example to the people they were following. And God held them responsible for the sins of Israel. Even some of the good kings, right? Now, obviously, we're under a different covenant. And, you know, there are hardcore Old Testament verses like in Ezekiel where we hear about, you know, people's blood being on our hands. We don't warn them, etc. And there's a little bit of a different standard now. But the reality is, as a leader, right, we should desire to lead by example those that we follow, Right? so that we're not giving them any account to sin on our behalf. Does that make sense? To follow our example and to sin. Okay, so before we can lead, we have to develop that Christ-like character, which starts with small things today and being diligent on a a daily basis to become Christ-like. That involves a lot of integrity, right? Integrity is a non-negotiable. So we lead by example from a position of character, Christ-like character, but then within that, we got to maintain a high level of integrity so that we stay there, right? Because you can get here, and then you can fall hard. I don't think Ted Haggard ever got into a place that he was at just so that he could have a gay affair. Does that make sense? I don't think he started out in ministry thinking, man, that'd be a good idea 20 years from now. Right? Get the biggest church in Colorado, and then screw it all up, and 
malign Christ and destroy my family? I don't think that ever happened. I don't think a lot of leaders that fall into sin like that ever get into leadership thinking, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? What happens, though, is maybe they develop this Christ-like character as a place for authentic, godly leadership, but then they don't maintain high integrity, and they fall really hard, and they destroy Christ's image, right? I know Billy Graham even once was tempted with a prostitute where somebody, I guess, I don't know how it all happened, but I guess some news agency tried to get him to fall into sin with a prostitute by putting one at his hotel room or something like that. And he bolted instantly (laughs) and maintained this high level of integrity that became known. Um, The reality is, guys, that we have to maintain that integrity if we're going to keep leading by, uh, you know, with a foundation of character. So integrity involves two things, sins of commission, things that we do that we should not do, right? And it also involves sins of omission, things that we don't, that we should. Does that make sense? We need to be accountable and walking in integrity in all those. Not doing what Scripture says not to and doing what Scripture tells me to. Somebody could never look at porn, never have an affair, never you know, be tempted with sexual sin, but never be sharing their faith and they'd be walking in sin. Does that make sense? Or vice versa. And as leaders, we need to walk in integrity in the don'ts and in the do's. My integrity relationship with Austin, we challenge each other on all those levels, on arguments with our wives, right, on not sharing our faith, on how we feel about ministry. I'm finding, this is interesting, every leader has their secret dream job if they weren't in ministry. (laughs) This is so weird. Stephanie, you might. (laughs) I'm always hearing this, and it just is so funny to me. So I won't reveal anybody's secret dream jobs. But they're all, like, really inferior jobs. Dwight said his at church on Sunday. Were you guys at church on Sunday? There's a big transition going on in the church. Um, But anyway, Dwight said his secret dream job is to be a Walmart greeter. (laughs) (laughs) A spy. A spy? Oh, that does sound fun. That does sound fun. But anyway, I would like to be a professional baseball player. That would be pretty sweet if I wasn't in ministry. But God is so much bigger than that, right? God is so much bigger than that. What's that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, here's the deal, guys, is out of that integrity, we can keep each other accountable to walking with Christ-like character as a foundation for our leadership. When I tell Austin, man, I'm feeling really discouraged in ministry right now. And, or when Austin tells me, man, I'm thinking about my dream job, <laughs> my other dream job outside of ministry. And I tell him, don't you even think about it. God has called you to this. And when he does the same with me, we're building each other up, not just in the sins that we should not fall into, but also in the commands that we should not neglect. Does that make sense? And as we walk in that integrity, we maintain Christ-like character and a position to lead in a Christ-like way. Okay, so a ministry that revolves around the Great Commission, right? That's the personal life a lifestyle that revolves around Christ, a ministry that revolves around the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I like to call that the third greatest commandment because I think that it's the third greatest commandment. It's the only place where we see that kind of emphasis from Christ other than Mark 12. 29 through 31, where he talks about the first two greatest commandments. 
And there, that is a way of fulfilling the first two, right? When I fulfill the Great Commission, I'm loving God and I'm loving others as well. Everything in my ministry has to revolve around that. Making him known, sharing the gospel, and discipling others. John 15, 1 through 8 and 16. You could read the whole passage if you have time, but I just want to read Jesus' words as we think about being effective in ministry, doing the Great Commission. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Leadership isn't going to happen apart from him. And apart from him working it out in you, a branch. Right? Um, if any, okay. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So he wants you to bear much fruit out of abiding in him. And then get this, you did not choose me, he tells the disciples, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. As we maintain this godly character, as we maintain this vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship, specifically our fellowship with God vertically, growing with him and abiding in him, He is going to produce much fruit through you and fruit that will last through you. Fruit that will continue multiplying until Christ returns. His disciples that are making more of his disciples that are making more of his disciples until he returns. It all boils down to one thing. I must decrease and he must increase like John said in John 3, right? I've got to get out of the way and let him take over my character, let him take over my ambitions, let him be my sole reason for what I do, my sole motivation, the only one that I desire to please and to be approved by. It has to all be him. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So my encouragement is that we develop this lifestyle of character and integrity in our personal lives, and that overflows into a life full of fruit in the Great Commission. A life of sacrifice, like we started off talking about how leaders sacrifice. That's the key deal. You're sacrificing everything for your Lord and Savior so that he can be made known rather than you be made known. So here's the leadership challenge. None of us in here have anything to offer. I was sharing Christ with somebody one time, and he said, I just can't understand how you guys can't see how much I have to offer God. He goes, if you guys could tell, I'd be like Paul. I'd be like Peter. I'd be like one of these guys. And if you guys knew that, you'd be trying so hard to get me to be a Christian. <laughs> what? Well, incidentally, why do you think I'm talking with you about Christ right now? You know, and I just told this person, you have nothing to offer God. And until you get to that point, you're not ready to be a Christian. I said, as long as you think that God needs you, you're, you're completely lost. And when you get to the point when you realize you're a sinner that desperately needs him, you're ready to come into his kingdom. That guy did come to Christ um, recently, I've heard. But it took a while, right? But a lot of times we think that's a crazy attitude, but we have that. God is so good that God is so blessed to have me on his team, (laughs) right? And the reality is that that is not the case. Um, I have nothing to offer. He does not need me. Leadership is a privilege. Remember Isaiah. 
saying, here I am, send me. Remember John the Baptist saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Or the disciples saying that they were rejoiced that they were counted worthy to be persecuted for him. I want to have that same attitude about leading. Gosh, that I'm just so joyful that I could lead and that I could follow him and serve him in ministry. So here's the prize. 1 Timothy 3.13 says, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And 1 Peter 5.4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And he's speaking to leaders in that passage, right? So guys, we have so much to look forward to. Matthew 25, we're going to hear him say, Lord willing, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Because we served him, putting it all out there. So here's the challenge. I want you to evaluate that test. Look over it. Realize that you're not capable of meeting all those criteria on your own. But the Holy Spirit wants to cultivate that in you. And then to make the decision, am I all in? Right? Am I in this for a lifetime? Am I in this for the long haul? Am I fully committed? Am I going to be diligent in giving myself wholly to these things so that God can make me the leader that he wants me to be? I hope you decide yes. But you can do that in your own quiet time tomorrow. Let's pray and close it out. Ooh, we're right about our time. Sweet. That's a surprise. <laughs> okay, let's pray. We should pray. Ben, you want to pray? Close it out? Cool. Dear God, I thank you for letting us meet together today. And I just thank you that we all had a great Thanksgiving break and are all here safely. I pray that you help us ease back into the whole school life uh, as easy as possible. I pray that you would also give us enough strength to live for your will, God, whatever that means for each of us, God. And I just pray that you would help us put, the, put what we learned today into practice every single day. And that we would ask for help if we need it, why we need it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.